Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for September the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our one of two, and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, and to do so using the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution of the United States of America, the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by our founding fathers, and one of the peaceful solutions we have at our fingertips. We also reject revolution and stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. A quick recap of yesterday's show we had on Dr. Scott Bradley, freedomsrisingsun.com with me. And we talked about complete corruption, plain and simple. The FBI indeed interfered into the 2020 election cycle to help Joe Biden. That we know, says Ted Cruz. And if that's the case, my fellow Americans, then we know that there has been literal vote fraud election fraud okay the fbi is criminal and if that's the case why are they just begging us for campaign funds hey please elect me you know the vote's coming up in a couple of days we gotta we gotta get if you get us in power we'll go ahead and get to the bottom of this and create a no you won't you lie 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 if there's criminal activity we don't have time to wait for an election cycle especially listen when the criminal activity has to do with the very election cycles we're talking about, right? Hey, we got defrauded out of the last election, so elect me this next time. Of course, we haven't spent any time doing anything to get rid of the fraud in the elections. How do you expect that to work there, uh, Ted? So no offense, but I, I don't really have any respect for these politicians that literally just beg for money, 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 beg to be elected, and every time they turn out to be a disgrace. The FBI released an almost completely redacted affidavit that blocks the explanation as to why the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Ladies and gentlemen, again, criminal activity by the FBI. You can go ahead and, um, you know what, show probable cause if you want to. But Donald Trump has the right to face his accusers. He has the right to due process of law. Part of the due process of law is they need to show, hey, what goods do they have on the Donald? Not this vague, we think there might be, well, there's this, that, and not these broad entrapment claims and all this other stuff. Okay, they're criminal. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg joined Joe Rogan's podcast and explained how algorithmically Facebook just simply suppressed the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden stories. Okay? That's criminal. There was information released by the New York Post right before the elections, but it got shut down by the FBI in bed with Mark Zuckerberg. Then Mark Zuckerberg puts $400 million into campaigns. Then they suppress the Joe story, but promote the Clinton-backed dossier on the Donald. It's flat-out election fraud, folks. Anyway, U.S. District Judge Terry Dowdy um, said that the that. Anthony Fauci and the White House press secretary must turn over all emails pertaining to the government media collusion issue. The story is at thenewamerican.com if you want to check it out. Flash poll, should citizenship be required to vote? 
election integrity alert. I brought that up to Dr. Scott Bradley, and he just said, are you seriously discussing this? And I said, yes, because Joe Biden at the administration is literally suing the state of Arizona over this very issue. Arizona says illegals can't vote. Your federal government, backed by, in my opinion, illegitimately elected Joe Biden, wants to sue and say, yes, illegals should be able to vote. Folks, is Biden trying to start a civil war, asks Ben Armstrong in The New American? One million migrants have been entered into the United States during Biden's tenure alone. That's a million people. How many illegal voters do we have? They told us there was about 12 million illegals in the country, but now evidence shows it's more like 25, 30 million. How many of those voted, huh? Fox Television Networks, believe it or not, has a 95% sell rate on their Super Bowl commercials. They're almost sold out. Some of the commercials are going over over. $7 million for a 30-second spot. The average is $6.5 million for a 30-second commercial. It is insane. We finished with Dr. Bradley by asking this question. Have you read the new legislation piece called H.R. 8404? It's called Respect for Marriage Act. Really, what it should be called is the Pedophile Perversion of Marriage Act. But there you have it. That's what we believe in in America. No wonder we are in crisis mode in the country as we turn our back on God Almighty and his laws. Second hour, we talked about a solid majority of small business owners say they are not currently hiring because they cannot afford the cost. 63%. They just can't afford it, folks. Why, you may ask. I'll tell you the answer. Because out-of-control government taxation Inflation, regulation, and manipulation of all things free market is the problem. We also then had our guest on, Mr. Jason Isaac. He's director of a group called Life Powered, a national initiative of Texas public policy, and their goal is to raise America's energy IQ, lifepower.org. And Jason actually did a good job. Jason was also a Texas state rep for years, serving on energy committees committees and more. We talked about companies buying carbon offsets. They're not cutting emissions. They're lying, and their big money is making it to where they don't have to be ratcheted down like the rest of us. Amazon shuts down solar roofs due to fires. California power grid at record level breaking points. Climate crisis causes supposedly China to ration energy. Vehicle miles travel tax is a bad idea. Let's all call for a halt to the climate cult, shall we? Anyway, we talked a lot about all that. We then talked about the judge allows Elon Musk to include whistleblower claims against Twitter, which I think is good news. Because former Disney CEO Michael Iger, or I'm sorry, Bob Iger, revealed that Disney ultimately decided not to buy Twitter because of the same reason, fake accounts everywhere. And no one can figure out the number of Twitter users that are not even real. Democrats are worrying as Stacey Agrams fails. She's been trailing the Republican rival. Governor Brian Kemp, Democrats were celebrating her. They say she's the great strategist to re-engineer the state's Democratic shift, but she's failing, and now they're big-time worried. They don't misunderstand me. I don't support Governor Brian Kemp, 
The guy's a nutcase, too, guilty of election fraud. Uh, so which one's worse? About impossible to tell. A long-shot attempt would bar Trump in 2024 as an insurrectionist, writes Lou Watcott. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of good stuff we covered yesterday on the broadcast. It's available on demand at libertyroundtable.com, lovingliberty.net. Spread the word. Share the love. Would you please? Donate liberally if they have the heart to help us. Well, we could use every penny we can get to grow our presence in the media. Without further ado, Chris Carlson's with me for the next two hours. Chris, welcome back, sir. Thank you, Sam. Without God, we cannot win. With God, we cannot lose. The battle for freedom is the Lord's, but we need to be engaged in the fight. Lieutenant Carlson reporting for duty, sir. (sighs) My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We start with a biblical reference on purpose, ladies and gentlemen, because that's where we find ourselves in the great republic. As we turn our back on God, we lose very, even the very knowledge of him, much less of principles that can turn us to him. Chris? Yes, sir. And those aren't my words, Sam, or your words. Those are the words of God through his prophet Hosea. If you look in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, you will read, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, saith the Lord. And that's where we are today, Sam. And um, this is an 85 to 80% Christian nation, according to surveys. And we're not acting like it, are we? <laughs> we're, we're I would say far from, right ladies and gentlemen. What happens is we forget to turn to God. We forget where our blessings come from. And then we end up in this huge pride cycle that we must discuss in detail because the pride cycle highlights our uh, situation. Uh, it highlights where we came from and it highlights where we're going as history sadly repeats itself. Chris? Yeah, so you mentioned the pride cycle and uh, nations go through that pride cycle. Sometimes they go through them quickly, sometimes slowly. Um, I think we've been going through that cycle over a period of about the last 230 years. So that's a pretty slow process compared to some other nations. It starts with righteousness, Sam. And through righteousness, uh, God can bless that nation with prosperity and peace and freedom and happiness. But once we become uh, prosperous, uh, we begin to develop pride and a sense of um, security on material things. And as we become more and more prideful, we, we become more and more sinful. And as we become more and more sinful, the Lord has to withdraw his spirit from our land. And we uh, go into the, the cycle of pain, humility, and then repentance. And I think we're still at the very beginning of the pain, humility, and repentance. Obviously, we're not doing a whole lot of repentance, so we're at the pain and, and hopefully someday humility point. So we're definitely in the pride and sin phase of, of that pride cycle. But the Lord in his mercy, Sam, and in his love for his children, will allow them to experience the consequences of those sinful actions. In his mercy, I say. So, you know, the punishments that will ultimately follow our sinful natures and our sinful decisions and actions uh, will be an act of mercy uh, on the part of God. And let's put things in perspective a little bit for people on the pride cycle. So people understand a little bit more what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, you know, in the founding of our nation, 
there was really a righteousness phase. I'm not telling you that everybody was perfect. I'm just telling you that for the most part, they came to America for religious freedom. Uh, the purpose to uh, create the country in the first place was to jettison the abuses of a tyrannical King George and embrace the principles of freedom. They created a government that looked to God, not government. And so they were pretty much in the righteousness phase. That doesn't mean we have to be a perfect people. It means we need to look to God for guidance. Uh, we need to understand that a nation can't rise without his aid. We need to look to God, not government, for not only what we need to do personally, in other words, self-governance, uh, but we need to look towards God for God, family, and country relationships. So they were in the righteousness phase. And as they were in that phase, blessings is what God pours out on the righteous. Therefore, prosperity followed that reality check. We are the greatest country on the face of the earth with the greatest economic engine ever known to man, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? Over the last 50, 80, 100 years, we've kind of started to get into the pride cycle. We've turned away from God's money, constitutional currency, gold and silver. We have man-made money now. Uh, this pride cycle has had us literally believe that, you know what, we know more than God does. Uh, so we start to sin as we get proud, as we really enjoy the blessings and prosperity. We think it's us. We forget our God. We fail to remember the source of the blessings and the prosperity we've experienced. So we get into this pride cycle, which means we don't look to God. We look to man. We look to each other. We worship the idols or the makings of our hands, if you will. Uh, and so then as pride happens, sin follows. Yeah. We're in that sin phase. We're starting to feel the pain phase, though, as God starts to pour out his wrath on the people, promoting gay and lesbian agendas. Sodom and Gomorrah comes to mind, literally pitting race against race, male and female against each other. You know, all these different fault lines. We start to turn away from God, embrace sin, and the pain follows. We're not at all in the humility or the repentance phase of this that I can see. We're in the sin slash pain part. More the sin part than the pain because it can get a whole lot worse. And if we don't change our, whatever you want to call it, reality check, our, our point of reference, our focus, then we're going to have more pain. Now, God promises us in the Bible that if we turn to him and repent, he will heal our land and protect us. Sounds like we could short circuit it if we were wise and re, um, avoid a lot of the pain. We could skip the sin and pain more and jump to the humility and the repentance phase. And if we would, God would bless us and would be back to the, the cycle of uh, working on our righteousness. So then we'd have blessings and prosperity. But I don't see us doing that. For some reason, we have to hit rock bottom uh, always first in the pride cycle. It's sad but true. Uh, the pride cycle is not something that, that's cast in stone. We, the people, could, with our agency, as a people, turn to God and change this right now and skip a lot of the most troubling portions of the cycle. That's why the cycle can happen fast or slow. Each element in the cycle can last a long time, be very deep or shallow in its, in its deliverance, if you will. Uh, so I, I want to point out the agency is at the core of this. And we have options, ladies and gentlemen. We are not forced um, for the pain phase. But you know what? We can choose what we want, but we cannot choose the consequences. That's why the cycle happens. If we're righteous, the consequence of righteousness is blessings. The consequence of blessings and um, repentance and righteousness, hey, is prosperity. Okay, but when you sin, the consequences of that, sin is pain. 
Okay, so we can choose what we want, but we cannot choose the consequences of our actions. That is delivered by God's eternal law and God Almighty, the author of our liberty. Anyway, I don't mean to go on about this forever, but I think it's the key to the understanding, Chris, that we must uh, have before the rest of the discussion makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, you've done a very good job. And I would just add one more thing. It's not so much that God has turned his back on us. Uh, it's it's more that we've turned our backs on him. And Roger he, that. he cannot dwell. He cannot dwell on unholy temples or in unholy uh, places. So he, he must, by necessity, uh, withdraw his spirit from our nation. And we're experiencing the consequence. Because I remember as a kid feeling the spirit of God uh, more strongly in our nation, and it's, it's, it has been withdrawn for the for not, not entirely, obviously. Otherwise, we would be. And in, again, uh, if you understand the pride cycle, there's an easy way to get it back. It starts with humility to admit we're wrong and that we're on the wrong road, and it then starts with repentance, ladies and gentlemen, right? And then turning to righteousness, exactly. meaning keeping His commandments is the key. Turning from sin. But you know what? It's a lot in the leaders that we pick as well because they mirror who we are as a people primarily, Chris. Yep. So we're going to – I know we beat up on Trump a lot. I do at least. And uh, and I and when, like you said, Sam, when he's right, I give him credit. You know, it's nothing personally. I have nothing personal against anybody in this world. But But we need to point out inconsistencies with Christian doctrine. When people at the head of our government implement policies that are antithetical to that culture and to our religious foundation, that is the cause of our blessings. <clears throat> so we need to point out, um, you know, a, a spade when we see a spade, as it were. And so there's an article by Ollie Williams. This can be found on dissident uh, dissidentreview.substack.com. Well, Ollie basically goes to, and Bill Skousen uh, has published this in his World Affairs Brief for this last Friday. Uh, he talks about a lot of the inconsistencies with what Donald Trump and his supporters expected from him and what he actually did. And we're going to go through that and again. So what we're talking about uh, is a talk- review of the Trump presidency, ladies and gentlemen. What is the real legacy of Donald Trump? you got to ask some questions. Is America a better country than it was in 2016? Is it more conservative? Less woke? And then I ask a couple of additional questions. More constitutional? More free? I don't think so. Here's the deets, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so he just goes through a long list. For example, he appointed uh, Jerron Smith, who prior to joining the White House had helped organize the Hoodies on the Hill protest about the death of Trayvon Martin. So, and a lot of times conservatives will do this, Sam, and it it bugs me. They will try to make common ground with people on the left, thinking that, that somehow they're going to receive concessions from the left, and it never works. We make concessions to them, but it never goes the other way. Uh, he appointed a man by the name of Amarosa, and I'm sure my kids probably know that. He's some famous person who went on to make the absurd claim that Al Sharpton, to, to Al Sharpton, that President um, Donald Trump wanted to start a race war. <laughs> and he, he appointed H.R. McMaster, who told the National Security Council that the term radical Islam 
Islamic terrorism was not helpful because Islamic terrorists are un-Islamic. And he goes on to talk about uh, Mark Milley, who defended uh, the study of critical race theory in the military. And we've talked about a lot of people that he's appointed over the years. Uh, and, and the fact that they, they turn out to, to um, be unloyal to him and, and not to support, you know, the movement back to conservative, constitutionally-based government. You know, why would you appoint a Mark Milley who promotes some of his says some really terrible things about the white race, and he's, he himself is white. Why would you appoint somebody who's going to turn around and promote the radical um, critical race theory in the military, you know, and, and turn, you know, one group of uh, soldiers against another? We're supposed to be united, not divided. And there's only really then, two uh, reasons that you would do that. One is ignorance and you don't know better, or two, it's intentional, right? Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it's obvious that Mark Milley is not with us, is not on our cause. And a lot of people say, well, he's got bad advice. He's getting bad advice. And well, in my opinion, if you're week. doing this ignorantly and it's not an intentional, but you get bad advice, uh, and look, we need good, honest, wise men and women, servants of the republic, if you will. And if you are, might be a good or even an honest person, which I debate that about Donald Trump, but even if you go there, you can say, well, if he did all this without knowing because of bad advice from surrounding himself with the wrong people, he's certainly not wise enough to be in office then. I'll tell you that right now. No. So good, honest, and wise yeah, yeah. is the measure or the yardstick that we need to use when we analyze uh, who surrounded Donald, Chris. Yeah, very good Good point. You need to be, you not, not only need to be good and honest, but you need to be wise. And not, those three things do not always uh, exist in the same person. You got to have all three, otherwise, all bets are off. Um, so the author, Ollie Williams, goes on to say Trump was the only Republican candidate in 2016 who was willing to c- condemn the disastrous Iraq War. Nevertheless, he picked John Bolton, one of the leading advocates of that war, as his national security advisor. He should have known. And then uh, in a Wall Street Journal interview, they asked Trump about this. Why why would you pick somebody who you knew was antithetical to your agenda? Uh, And Trump said, uh, and after the first month or so, you know, I asked him one question. I said, so do you think uh, you did the right thing by going into Iraq? And um, apparently John Bolton said yes, and that's when I lost him, and and that was early on. That's Trump saying that. That's when I lost him. No, 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 Trump, you lost the you you yourself was the person who made that mistake because you should have known, you should have had the discernment because I knew that you knew that Sam, Joel Skousen knew that, you know people in the know knew that. Why the, the person who should be the most on top of that situation? what seemed to be the only person in conservative circles who did not know that. So, yeah. And the honesty question is at stake, too, because did he really know or did he not know? What did he really think and what did he really believe and what was his real understanding? I don't know that we know that either. So that's the honest kind of part that seems to be uh, of a great concern. But there's more. Okay. Oh, there's more. Um, So Darren Beatty. Uh, remember Darren Beatty from Revolver.News? We've quoted him many times. He's covered uh, January 6th riots, uh, Ray Epps extensively. 
apparently, Sam, I didn't know this, but he was a speechwriter for Trump at one point, I think early in his presidency. So Darren Beatty, who worked as a speechwriter for Donald Trump, remains a Trump loyalist. Uh, said the ex-president. Okay, said said in he and Darren Beatty said this of the ex-president. What was remarkable was how little authority he actually had. So he was rubbing shoulders with Donald Trump early in his presidency. All right, let's come back on that point, ladies and gentlemen. Darren Beatty talking about what little authority the president Donald Trump really had, and he saw it from the inside as a speechwriter for the Donald. We'll come back on that very point with Chris Carlson. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Live. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News. The Department of Justice and former President Donald Trump have each submitted two candidates to serve as a special master to review documents seized from the former president's Mar-a-Lago home last month. According to court documents filed late Friday, Trump suggested former judge Raymond Diari as a candidate. This comes despite Diari having previously approved a warrant for the FBI to surveil former Trump campaign aide Carter Page during the Russia investigation. Trump also put forward Paul Huck Jr., a former partner at the corporate law firm Jones Day. Federal prosecutors have thrown out two retired judges, Thomas Griffith and Barbara Jones, who previously served as a special master in the Michael Cohen and Rudy Giuliani cases. Republican Congressman Brian Babin from Texas on Newsmax fully supports Governor Greg Abbott's plan of busing illegal immigrants from the border to sanctuary cities. Representative Babin says Democrat leaders need to tell the president to secure our border now. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, bad-mouthing our governor down here, they need to get on the telephone and call their, their president and say, hey, Mr. President, start doing your job because what's happening at our border, it's an invasion. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry. President Joe Biden said he'll be going to the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II whenever it takes place. You're going to the Queen's funeral, sir? Yes. I don't know what the details are yet, but I will be going. The Queen died Thursday at the age of 96 after 70 years on the throne. This is USA Radio News. Do you have three ex-wives and your current trophy wife wants a life insurance policy three times the size of the policies you had to purchase for your previous mistakes? If so, you need to call Big Lou at Term Provider, 800-568-2790. Big Lou is intimately familiar with your problems. And if you're 50 or 60 years old and in reasonably good health, a $1 million policy should only cost about 100 to $200 per Per month, Big Lou may have a solution for your previous policies as well. You may even save enough money to lighten the load on your new $1 million policy. Remember, call Big Lou. He's like you, except he's only on number two. Call Term Provider at 800-568-2790. That's 800-568-2790. For a million dollars in term life insurance that you can live with, call Big Lou at 800-568-2790. 
Right now, ladies and gentlemen, with Chris Carlson, I'm talking about the Trump presidency. What is the real legacy of Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen? Is America a better country now than it was in 2016? Is it more conservative, less woke, more constitutional, more free? See, we don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. I'm convinced there's all kinds of problems. Uh, in Revolver's magazine, what's the guy's name, Darren Beatty? Beatty? Uh, this guy literally was yeah. the Trump speech writer. Uh, it was on the inside, and he literally is doubling down saying, look, it was surprising how little authority Donald really had. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's be very clear. According to the we the people who have the ultimate authority under God Almighty, we delegated certain powers to the president. And if those powers are being circumvented by others, a shadow government, by advisors or whatever term, that's criminal, ladies and gentlemen. Now, was Donald constitutionally adept to understand that and insist on his authority, his responsibility, assist on carrying out his delegated commitments via sworn oath to protect us? Are the enemies foreign and domestic that were stealing authority from him? Uh, what about them? See, and this is why we need to look for good, honest, wise men to serve us, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk more about this Aaron uh, guy and what he learned. Chris? Uh, yeah, Darren Beatty, yeah. So, so the quote Darren, goes, not Aaron, sorry. word for word. So, yeah, Darren Beatty, yeah, he's, in, he's a good guy. Um, we covered him in the past. What was remarkable was how little authority he actually had. He is not the author of the things that his own administration was doing. And he had really little say in it, and frankly, I think he didn't have very much interest in having a say in it. And I would agree with that. I don't think he was that much interested in the course of the country, Sam. I think he thought that, that based on the power of his personality alone, that he could change things for the better in this country, not really understanding those constitutional principles upon which we should be based. And I don't think he really cared. Uh, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I'm going to say it because that's the sense that I got. And I've got a whole long list of more stuff. Did you want to say anything else? Um, I, I just want to say uh, this. What we, what we really created in America, ladies and gentlemen, is, quote, a personality cult surrounding the Donald. Now, this was done for Obama, too. Obama was the great Democrat savior. Donald Trump seems to be the great Republican Savior, ladies and gentlemen, it dominates the Republican Party. The Republican Party is now downraising or downplaying a lot of the core issues that matter. Okay, we're we're looking for a single man to save us. We're turning to man, not God, in America, folks. The Democrats are doing it. The Republicans are doing it. We believe that some, you know, hey, if Sam Bushman ran for office, and let's just say this, I've got a twenty-five plus year on the radio dealing with constitutional issues most people who listen understand that i'm i'm not perfect but i'm a pretty constitutional guy okay but if i ran for office i i wouldn't stand a, a prayer but if a rock star ran for office if a diva ran for office that i don't know made her claim to fame in sexy music or whatever else or acting or actress or whatever a model or this or that. Hey, should rock it to the top as a popularity queen, right? And so we've learned to yeah. worship people and saviors in hope that somehow by creating these personality cults surrounding people or these idolesque ideas of individuals, we somehow think that's our savior, saving grace. 
It's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. Is Trump good, honest, or wise? I think he's none of the three. Is he better than others in some ways? Oh, sure. If you slide the scale so far left, so far communist, so far socialist that you can't see straight, then Donald comes out smelling like a rose. But in the real scheme of things, compared to the founding fathers, compared to the standard of our oaths of office, we're far from, my fellow Americans, far from indeed, Chris. And that paradigm has shifted, and people have not recognized that because it's happened so gradually, you know, over a 55-year period during my lifetime, I've witnessed it. But I'm a historian. I look at history, and, and here's another thing. When I was young, like I said earlier, Sam, I felt the Spirit of God in this nation much stronger. And it's, it's not something you can see with your eyes or hear with your ears or, or feel with your sense of touch. It's something that you just feel. It's, it's a presence. It's just well, it's a, like the wind or it's like know. faith. You can't see it, but you can see the results of. So if you look around you, you, you can, can see, see that, look, I can't mm-hmm. think of a real constitutional leader on the national stage that's worthy of my vote. You say, well, wait a minute, yeah. Sam, what about Rick Santorum? Rick, um, you know, whatever. What about, um, you know, Ron DeSantis? What about Donald Trump? What about... Oh, man, what about Christine Nome in, you know, um, South Dakota? What about, you know, no, these people, again, they're the best we see. So you got to, you know, support the credit and the good that they do. You got to work with them to try to do better because it's all we've got. But when you compare that to the Thomas Jeffersons of the world, when you compare that to the uh, George Washingtons of the world, uh, when you compare that to the to the modern day Dr. Scott Bradley's of the world, uh, Lowell Nelson's of the world, the Chris Carlson's, others, you begin to say these people are far from. But we haven't in our society given any credence towards those who really know, those who are truly good people, truly honest people, truly wise people. Yeah, I can't think of a nationally known figure that I would vote for for president that has a prayer on this earth of winning. I can think of a lot of yeah. good people. But none of them have even, (laughs) I don't know about a household name, but none of them even have a name that you can, oh, I've heard of that guy even. Scott Bradley's a great guy. He speaks all over the country. But you know what? Most of the nation wouldn't know who he is at all. Okay, so this is what I mean. We don't have a single person that we could literally put in these positions. Even if the people would vote for them today, we don't even have them at all. See? So that's the problem is we've been literally shut out of this because we believe it's a popularity contest, because we believe in these, quote, personality cult mentality ideas that puts people literally above God, ladies and gentlemen. And as long as we pursue that, we don't have a prayer. Okay, it's going to take a change. That's called repentance to turn God back or turn us back to God, I should say, where we are focused properly, that we have our uh, prod, um, uh, priorities uh, in order. That's what it's going to take. Uh, any more on this, uh, Chris? No. <clears throat> um, I, I just would like to add one more thing. I used to be in the camp of those people that said, well, you got to vote for you know one of these two candidates, the Republican or the Democrat, because nobody else stands a chance. And you're right. With that attitude, nobody does. And I used to think that that sounded pretty logical, they got to the point where I just could not live with my conscience in voting for somebody who was a lesser of two evils, which, as you know, Sam, is still evil. 
So, and a lot yeah, of what people, I do is uh, I here's what I do. I push for an alternative. I look for somebody that I can vote for. I encourage people to run. I do all within my power to find somebody to vote for. And if I can't find somebody that I believe is a good, honest, wise person to vote for, in other words, if I can't vote my conscience, because I believe voting for a wicked person is a sin, okay? So if I cannot find somebody to vote my conscience, I choose not to vote in that vote. And you would say, Sam, that's throwing your vote away. And my response is, no, it's not. I have every right to not put my vote towards unworthy candidates. Find a worthy candidate, and I'll vote. Until then, I have every right. And if nobody was voting because there was no worthy candidates, then people would start to focus on worthy candidates again. See, so that's the deal. I don't believe my vote is ever wasted if I use it as I think best. Remember, it's mine. No. And so I will vote for a person if we can find a wise, honest, good person. And I believe I can vote my conscience for a moral person. Uh, And if I can find that person, I vote for them. If I can't, I simply don't vote in that race. That's all, Chris. That's what I do. Yeah. And that's what I do. And there are over 1,000, there were in 2016, over 1,600 presidential candidates. You're telling me out of all those people, you can't find one that you feel comfortable voting for? I disagree. I found one, Don Blankenship, and, and I'm not embarrassed to say that. And that's the what fact I voted that he for. Was so highly, yeah, I felt very comfortable because I, I did my research. And there are videos out there that you can listen to. And there will be men like Don Blankenship and Daryl Castle. Uh, and there will be information out there available to people. Well, I mean, remember, I Michael, Prutka and, Michael Prutka and Michael Chuck Prutka. Baldwin and others have, have ran on the Constitution Party ticket. Mm-hmm. I voted for both of those gentlemen as well. Mm-hmm. Michael Badnerick was, was one who ran for president uh, a few years back. Yeah, he but, ran uh, on the Libertarian anyway, Party. Anyway, continue. Oh, was, was he in the Libertarian Party? Michael, yeah, uh, Michael Prutka was the one that ran on the Constitution Party ticket. Michael Badnerick yeah, was yeah, a Libertarian I, Party candidate. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the, the <clears throat> Libertarian Party, Sam, based on right, a, their, their stance on abortion and immigration. But anyway, anyway, I didn't mean. So let me just continue because there's a lot of this. I don't know how um, you know detailed we want to go. A lot of people blame Jared Let's Kushner. Do it. Uh, Jared Kushner for everything uh, bad about Trump, and I don't doubt that Jared Kushner. Himself being a Zionist Jew, I don't doubt, you know, that he had connections perhaps to the Rothschilds, uh, perhaps to the um, Rockefellers. Uh, there's usually always a Zionist in the uh, executive department who serves uh, more or less as kind of a guiding hand to the president. Uh, for example, in the days of Woodrow Wilson, uh, there was a man by the name of Mandel House um, who who was the guiding hand. He was like the, the president's left, right-hand man. And I could go down the list, but I won't. But um, according to Ollie Williams, the author of this article, uh, according to Peter Navarro, who worked as an advisor to President Trump, Jared Kushner repeatedly said the words, that was the campaign. This is reality. So apparently that was supposed to convince Donald Trump that uh, what you said in the campaign is not necessarily what you do when you become president, uh, and you know Peter Navarro was there to witness that firsthand, um, and obviously, now let's be clear. Jared, when we when we when we speak of Zionist Jews, because if you're not very careful, that gets taken out of context. Let me explain a Zionist Jew really fast to somebody. There's a big difference between the government, deep state, Jewish powerhouse in the world that Jews 
who have allegiance to that become Zionist Jews. They have a 2,000-year grudge. Uh, they uh, literally work with the deep state. They literally are tied into money, wealth, and power, and that's all exploited, exploiting the Jewish religion for evil purposes, okay? There is good, honest yes. Jewish people who believe in the Jewish religion. They may be your neighbors. They may be even people who live in Israel who truly believe in the biblical Israel and who truly believe in the Jewish religion in a genuine way. We're not talking about those people. Okay, there's a big difference in those people. Yeah. And there's a big difference in the intention and in the alignment that we want to clarify. So we're not just attacking people that are Jewish, whether that be an ethnic discussion or whether that be a religious affiliation discussion. We are separating the deep state Israeli government and those who are exploiting that religion for power and influence. That's the people we're pointing at. They're evil and they're exploiting the Jewish religion. Christians, other religions have had their uh, naysayers. Or their exploiters as well. Let's be very clear so we know who we're talking about, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. And we want to be very careful, yeah, because we don't want to alienate anybody based on race or religion. I mean, you, you said it very well, Sam. So going on to some of the other <clears throat> things that, that Donald Trump represented as president that were inconsistent with, with his uh, campaign rhetoric. Let's talk about the platinum plan. Okay, the platinum plan, if you'll recall, was a $500 billion investment in black-only um, communities, black colleges, uh, black causes in general. So that, on its face, is racist, right? And by the way, I didn't say $500 million. I said $500 billion. That's half of a trillion dollars. And Donald Trump was very proud of that initiative. Uh, that he passed. I think it was an executive order. Yeah, it was. Which, on, again, is not in the Constitution, so on its face as well, it's unconstitutional. And not only did he do that, according to this article by Ollie Williams, and he, uh, he hired Ice Cube, the rapper Ice Cube, as a key policy consultant in his Platinum Plan initiative. And Ice Cube is the man behind these lyrics. And I hope I don't offend anybody because these are some pretty hard-hitting lyrics. Um, as a rapper, he said, beat a police out of shape, and when I'm finished, bring the yellow tape. Punk police are afraid of me. When I'm finished, it's going to be a bloodbath. And that's Ice Cube. And this is the man that Donald Trump literally used taxpayer dollars to hire as a consultant in his uh, $500 billion platinum initiative or executive order. <clears throat> So, I mean, I have a problem with that, Sam. Amen you know, to that. It's completely you know, racist. It's off the rails insane. It's money that the government has no authority to spend in the first place. Uh, it literally pits Americans against Americans. It's an evil plan. It was released under Donald Trump. If you don't believe us, here's the headline to go look up on your Google there. Trump releases platinum plan for black voters. Bloomberg is where this article comes from. And so now we're talking about black voters as opposed to, what, all the other kind of voters? White voters, Hispanic voters, Latino, whatever, Jewish, anybody. Why are we going to literally unveil a plan for black voters? Is it because you need to get them on your side so you don't lose next time? I don't know, but a platinum plan for black voters, according to Bloomberg? Uh, there you have it to document Chris's point. Chris? Yep. Let's talk about law and order. Um, again, from um, 
Ollie Williams article about Donald Trump and you know how his decisions he made were inconsistent with not only his uh, campaign rhetoric but um, Christian society in general. During the prolonged riots of 2020, Senator Tom Cotton convincingly convincingly made the case for invoking the Insurrection Act, which allowed um, federal law enforcement to get involved with uh, with the riots that were occurring in major cities like Portland and Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. But instead of you know doing anything um, on his part, President Trump considered safer politically to, to let the riots take place and blame them on Joe Biden, repeatedly labeling them Biden riots. So he would rather score political points than do anything about it, Sam. And... Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you use the federal government to uh, riot act. is probably completely and totally unconstitutional. But he should have at least encouraged the governors of those states to, to quell those. Uh, and that's another point. That kind of segues into a point I really want to make, and maybe this is the time to talk about it. The most powerful uh, power that the president possesses, and we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating, Sam, is the ability to articulate sound constitutional principles because i don't know if anybody in the world maybe uh the the recently deceased queen of england could do this and she's probably a good candidate as well but who else in this world can convene a press conference and have more people listen to him or her than the president of the united states and that was a golden opportunity that i believe that he squandered now of course people are going to say well he's not really familiar with the constitutional constitution he's not a constitutionalist Okay, well, you're you're making my point completely. Um, he he should have used what is uh, affectionately known as, known as the bully pulpit, Sam, to articulate the principles that made this country great. And I feel that he squandered an opportunity for four years as our president to do that. Well, because let's be clear, what are the lasting legacies of President Trump? Our debt has skyrocketed. Yeah, it's worse under, uh, you know, under Biden. Uh, but Trump spent a, a ton of money. We literally had, for the first time in American history, we literally shut down the lives of healthy people by force. As close to martial yeah. law as you could get without the people literally rioting. We literally spent trillions of dollars on all kinds of projects. You could say, well, hey, he put judges in place that created some pro-life. I hope that's true. Time will tell. Now what states are doing is circumventing the overturn of Roe versus Wade state by state, and they're doing it with literally uh, chemical abortion pills. They're literally doing it with all kinds of – so I appreciate Donald Trump standing for pro-life to some degree. Yes, he put in some judges that got that done. That's a positive. I just hope it's it's as long lasting and as life saving as at first glance. Okay? But we need to realize that under Trump we lost more liberty than under any other president in my lifetime. And it's a sustained loss of liberty. Uh, because Donald thumbed his nose oftentimes and did whatever he wanted. Increasing every president's done this in my lifetime, increasingly brazen about violating their oath of office. In other words, walking outside of their lane via executive order, via this, via that, to the point where, you know what, they're acting without authority. They're acting rogue. And Trump and Obama 
and Bush and now Biden, every one of them pushes the envelope farther, further. We didn't do that in the beginnings of America, yep. folks. And now we're doing we that. Do and that. Trump is as guilty as the rest, if not more so. Okay? You got to understand that. Trump has blown up so many things we hold dear. And everywhere around us, we see them blowing up whole societal norm. Let's blow up the whole mortgage industry. Boom. Let's blow up health care with Obamacare. Oh, Donald promised to get out of it. We really didn't get out of anything. Uh, boom. Blow up health care via uh, COVID. Let's blow up, you know, and we blow up all these industries uh, to the point where now where are we? We're to the point where they're just going to simply start raising interest rates and blow up small business. Well, small business already took a massive hit under Donald. It completely got shut down. And you could say, well, no, Donald didn't do that. The governors did, Sam. Well, kind of. It was a partnership. It was a build consensus at the general government level and then act like the states are autonomous to do what they want. They just all simply were in sync. (laughs) That consensus building, ladies and gentlemen, is not an accident. It happened on Donald's watch. Even if he pretends he was against it, it occurred under his watch, Chris. Yeah, it did. And like I said, if he had been in possession of those constitutional and Christian principles he could have articulated, that would have been his greatest power. And that power isn't even enumerated in the Constitution, Sam. But he nonetheless has it. And he should have used it. I mean, let's look at abortion. And I know I'm repeating myself on this. All he would have had to have done, Sam, because right now in the state of Utah, guess what? You can still abort a child. All the uh, well, Joe Biden could do it today. Obviously, he's not going to do it, but you know, Donald Trump would have, you know, been a better candidate for this. All he would have done is to have invoked the Fifth Amendment that reads, and I can quote it off the top of my head: "No person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law." He could have overthrown Roe versus Wade on the first day of his presidency. And for the next four years, those governors would have had to think about, hmm, yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. But not only the governors, but the people and the legislatures of, of the various states in the union would have would have considered that, and they would have said, yeah, I can't argue with that, because it's the supreme law of the land. But he failed to do that. So anyway, I... It frustrates the heck out of me because if I had a megaphone that big, I would. There's a lot of things that I would do. I would expose the fraudulent nature of our monetary system. You know, think about how salutary that would be. Because most people I talk to give me blind stares when I try to explain the Federal Reserve System. Donald Trump could have uh, hired experts to come in and had little fireside chats for you know an hour every Tuesday night. And instead American of having fast uh, track, in. instead of having fast track vaccine jabs under Operation Warp Speed, creating a bioweapon under his watch, he could have had firesides yeah. educating people about the necessity to uh, audit and then end the Fed. But of course, you know what happened. Yeah, and he could he could have you know had like I say he could have brought in uh, G. Edward Griffin and and other people, um, Ron Paul. And just have expert after expert after expert, you know, to give it legitimacy because, you know, the more uh, experts you have articulating a principle, obviously, you know, the more legitimacy it, it, it conveys. But he didn't. And it's just so frustrating that a person, as a simple-minded day laborer like me, 
and you're not a day laborer, but you know, you as well could think of these things, yet the smartest man in the world can't figure it out. And yet he is still worshipped, and people still think that he's our political savior. And they just don't get it, Sam. And we're, we're being destroyed for lack of knowledge, just as Hosea says in chapter 4, verse 6 of his, uh, his prophecy, I guess. But if we could, before we end the hour, I'm not sure how much time we've got, uh, let's talk a little bit about the wall. Okay, according to Ollie Williams, Donald Trump only complete, completed 80 miles of new wall. Now, I thought it was 15. Some people will say 350, 365. I heard all because there's debates on what the wall means. If you repair wall, does that count? If you make different kinds of walls, but it's not near the, the, the height, the breadth, the stoppage wall that we talked about, does it count? That's why there's so many different numbers. Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, Congress never appropriated the money, right? Well, why don't you just come on, um, have a little fireside chat and say, okay, we're going to do this democratically. I know we're not. I thought the Mexicans were going to pay for it, man. We don't need Congress to pay for anything. And that, well, that's what Ollie uh, Williams says in this article. said you could have um, taxed remittances back to Mexico and paid for it, which probably would have worked. You consider how much money flows back into Mexico. Not that I have a problem with that, but if you tax, all them, you got to do is put I mean, tariffs on the on the on the border with Mexico, and you got to simply say we're going to increase tariffs seven percent, five percent, whatever it's going to take over the next four years to build the wall. We're going to have the money, and we got this added to the tariff, and it's going to go straight to the wall fund. Could have been done easily, but of course there's, we there's didn't a, do that. A million ways. And of course the other thing we there's didn't do ways. is we didn't even find out about Barack Obama's birth certificate. Was it a forgery? Was it a fraud? We never even found out the answers to that either. We didn't abolish any government agencies, I might add, as well. Why didn't we abolish even a single unconstitutional government agency? There's more of those agencies than you could shake a stick at. We didn't abolish a single one under the tunnel. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I know you Donald lovers are going to hate us. You Donald haters, I don't know if you're going to love us or what. Don't care. The truth shall set us free. I am Sam Bushman. I'm with Chris Carlson. Hour one in the can. Hour two coming up. We declare this nation shall endure. LibertyRoundTable.com, LovingLiberty.net. Spread the word, share the love, tell your neighbor. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Top the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use continues for September the 10th in the year of our Lord 2022 to promote God, family, and country, and to protect life, liberty, and property is our goal. Using the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land. And, uh, hey, we the people have the authority. All government power is delegated by the consent of the governed to groups of people based on the contract. It's your general constitution, the supreme law of the land, and your state constitution that matters, ladies and gentlemen. Study it, know it, and insist on your servants having obedience to that rule of law. 
Speaking of that, the 9-11 anniversary is coming up tomorrow. Some people say it's a celebration. I disagree. Some people say it's a commemoration. Well, what do you want to commemorate? What do you want to remember? The lives that were lost? The fact that our president promised at the time to get to the bottom of it and create accountability, which never happened? What do you want to know about 9-11? I think that we need to drill in and know the truth. How about solving 9-11? Christopher um, Bowling wrote an article about this very topic, folks. Solving 9-11. What really happened? What were the lies? What were the deceptions? What really took place? Who was involved? How did it go down? What do we know? What do we not know? We know quite a bit, ladies and gentlemen, and the longer since that false flag operation took place, it is the more we know. Chris? Yeah, so Christopher Berlin is an investigative reporter uh, from Chicago. He's lived in Israel. Uh, He had an Israeli girlfriend. I think maybe they got married at one point. Anyway, so he presents evidence of the fraudulent nature of the government story of 9-11 and a little bit different approach. He, instead of giving physical evidence like the molten metal at the base of ground zero or the fact that they were obviously uh, taken down through controlled demolition, he basically looks at human intelligence and some of the ties that uh, the destruction of the Twin Towers has to the Zionist state of Israel. So that's the approach that we're going to take today. And there's some evidence here that I'm sure your audience has probably never heard of. Now, Christopher Berlin, he, in about 2014, 2015, 2016, uh, he took his show on the road, and he basically presented this information uh, in various cities and in various settings. And you used to be able to get the video of these uh, presentations on YouTube, but you cannot anymore for obvious reasons. But you can get them on BitChute, by the way. So go to BitChute and put in Christopher Bolin, B-O-L-L-Y-N, and you'll come up with all sorts of information about what he presents on the lies and deceptions uh, of 9-11. So he starts his presentation, Sam, and feel free to cut in at any point. He said, when asked, when it, and this is a quote, when it comes, this is a survey they did um, a few years after 9-11. It says, when it comes to what they knew prior to 9-11 about possible terrorist attacks against the U.S., do you think members of the Bush administration are telling the truth, are mostly telling the truth, but hiding something, or they are mostly lying? And in 2002, a year after the um, collapse of the Twin Towers, 73 percent of those surveys believe that the Bush administration was either mostly lying or hiding something. 73, that's almost three-quarters of the population surveyed. By 2004, that number had grown to 76, and by 2008, Sam, it was 81 percent believed that the Bush administration were either mostly lying or hiding something about the 9-11 attacks. Which is encouraging to to add to this, to add to this beyond polls. Now, now that we have facts that there's no weapons of mass destruction, da, 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 for all the wars we got drug into, et cetera. um, Now, Americans know that there was an agenda behind this, that this false flag is real. A lot of Americans don't know, uh, you know, who done it and how it was done and all those kind of things. But Americans pretty much realize that 9-11 
uh, was not as we were told. The problem is they're powerless yeah. to do anything about it because of the secret combinations in America today, Chris. Yeah, it's kind of like the John F. Kennedy assassination, I would think. But you're right. I think people sense that there's something wrong, but they don't have the energy. They don't have the courage. They don't they don't have the, the wherewithal to really do anything about it. So going along to get along to them is a, a plausible or a viable option, which is not for me, not for you, Sam. Uh, I'm going to continue to pound the point that, I mean, there are there are obvious obvious indications. Like just looking, and I know you know you as a blind person have that, this disadvantage, but just looking at the collapse of the twin towers, and even more obvious, Building Seven. I mean, based on that evidence alone, Sam, we know that those buildings were not taken down because they got hit by planes. They were taken down by controlled demolition. And most Americans well, because remember, not, remember, ladies and gentlemen, Building Seven didn't get hit by anything, but it still came down. To make the point. And it was beautiful. I mean, I watched it several times when I was doing this research, and I thought, wow, if I could take a building down that neatly, you know, dropping that free fall speed into its footprints and creating such little damage in the perimeter where it existed, dang, I mean, I would consider myself a very good demolitionist. And obviously it was done very professionally, And but people... I, I don't know. I don't know why that shouldn't be sufficient, uh, you know, to have fired the Bush administration at that point. We should have impeached him. You know, I don't. I didn't want to go too far off on those tangents, but I want to give people a couple of data points. Like Benjamin Netanyahu, as you know, Sam, Benjamin Netanyahu was the Prime Minister of Israel at the time of 9/11, and there's a lot of evidence that uh, he knew or had something to do with the destruction of those towers. Uh, so let's go back to 1976 to 78. Netanyahu worked at an organization here in America called the Boston Consulting Group, which was a Rothschild link firm. Okay, there's a data point. So in 1979, he returns with his father to Israel, and he created an institute on terrorism in Israel and hosted a conference where they, uh, he and his father, called on the, the U.S. to wage war on terrorist groups and the governments that sponsor them. Okay, so that doesn't prove anything, but it kind of shows the relationship that Netanyahu and his father are developing with this idea that they need to um, to, to do something about the terrorist nations that surround Israel. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, they're constantly expanding, and there's this notion of Eretz Israel and the Yanom plan. I don't mean to get too far uh, into detail about this, but there's this notion on the part of the Likud government that has basically dominated Israel for the last uh, three centuries where they want to expand the borders of Israel. They want to expand into Iraq. They want to expand into, um, into Egypt. They want to expand into Syria, for example. And if you look at these countries where they plan to expand, and of course, Afghanistan. If you look at these countries where they want to expand into these are the exact countries that we have targeted as a result of the collapse of the buildings on 9-11. So, ladies so and gentlemen, there, let's be there, very clear. Some... When we talk about the lies and deceptions, it's very important to develop a historical context of relationships, of the places the deep state, the global deep state, put people in to advance their cause. That's the purpose of the historical context, to help you understand 
This isn't by happenstance. This isn't by Johnny come lately. They have these plans for their lies and deceptions. They have these plans way in advance, and they set the stage for a lot of these things. All right? You've got all kinds of people they put in unique places. Chris? Yes. Okay. So continuing on that thread, Sam, so Netanyahu, on the day after September 11, 2001, he was asked uh, by a New York Times reporter uh, what he thought about the the 9-11 attacks. And this was his response, and I think this is very telling. He said, quote, it's very good. It will generate immediate sympathy, unquote. Now, that may be true. It will generate sympathy with the state of Israel because a lot of people – you know, thought that one of the reasons that we were attacked was because of our relationship with Israel being an ally. But you don't go around saying that unless you really mean it. It's very good. No, it's not very good. You know, almost 3,000 people dying. That depends on your uh, goals now. If you want to have lies and deception, if you want to force the people into positions and actions that they would not normally take, these false flags serve the purpose as well. Don't let any good crisis go to waste. Remember last week? So, okay, it's not good in our minds because we want peace and prosperity and stability and safety. These people don't want that, and that's part of the historical context we're helping you highlight and understand. Now, there's several other unique people that were in place, very strange characters in place at the time uh, this false flag went down. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So Ehud Barak, who was a former prime minister of Israel and a Zionist. Um, it, interestingly enough, Sam, on the morning of 9-11, he just happened to be in the studios of BBC World, which, by the way, is the largest English-speaking media outlet in the world, BBC World. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and they interviewed him, and this is what he said. And this is actually before the towers had even collapsed. So this is very early that morning. Ah, we hate time zones. They mess up and call a halt to our deception, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Remember that. (laughs) Yeah, so Ehud Barak said this, Sam. Tell me if this sounds suspicious. This is before the, the towers had even fallen, you know, with free fall speed into their footprint. He said the world will not be the same from today on. How did he know that? He goes on to say, we know who did this. It's basically Osama bin Laden. It's time to launch an operational concrete war against terror. It's almost as if he knew that that was going to happen, Sam. What do you think? Well, that's why time zones betray the reality, folks. He did know. Yeah. And there's a relationship between him and Netanyahu, obviously, in leadership positions. You kind of rub shoulders with the same people. Ehud Barak was Netanyahu's commander in what is referred to, this is a a Hebrew word, Sayaret Matkal, which was an independent covert commando force under the command of Israeli military intelligence and the chief of staff. Another connection, an individual by the name of Daniel Levin, I don't know if that name rings a bell, Uh, he was another Sayaret Matkal commando, which is this very highly secretive commando group in Israel was presumably on Fly 11. At least he was on the manifest. So there's another data point, game 11. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, the comptroller of the currency for the Pentagon. And this may seem a little bit disconnected, but I think it's relevant. So how many of your listeners, Sam, remember that on the morning before 
Donald Rumsfeld, uh, the Secretary of Defense, came out and announced to the American people that there were $2.3 trillion of Pentagon money that was unaccounted for. In other words, it had been lost. Now stop, ladies and gentlemen. $2.3 trillion with a T, unaccounted for dollars, says Donald Rumsfeld and others, right? Well, wow. A yeah. day before this all went down, that cannot be coincidence either. But now you got to look at Dov Zakheim. Yep. So Doss Zakheim was the Comptroller General of the Currency for the Pentagon. Now here's another man, and I believe I'm going to qualify this by saying I'm not absolutely sure, but I think he's a dual citizen. A lot of these people are. I'm not going to tell you who is and who isn't, but a lot of these people are dual American-Israeli citizens. And, and I think that's relevant because their loyalty then can be called into question, at least I don't think anybody should work in the government if they have dual citizenship with any country. But anyway, Dov Zakheim, a dual American-Israeli citizen, was literally the comptroller general of the currency of the Pentagon when this um, loss of $2.3 trillion uh, was announced unaccounted for. So I think that's um, relevant. And the, the timing, consider the timing, the day before 9-11. How many people remember that announcement? They don't. Because it's overshadowed, of course, by the much, much greater event of 9-11. And I just, I just think that that's another significant data point that kind of uh, creates this picture uh, of the relationship that this, the Zionist state of Israel has with the events on the morning of 9-11. Okay. Uh, I'd like to talk about airport security. So airport security throughout the nation at the time of 9-11, Sam, was being uh, provided for by a company that was um, headed by a man by the name of Menachem Oxman, who was the CEO of ICTS, an Israeli company, and they, of course, they were in charge of all of the security throughout the United States during 9-11, okay? So that is another data point. Now, does that prove anything? No, it doesn't prove anything, but it does, the picture is starting to look suspicious here, do you not think? Another data point. Now, this, we're going back in history in quite a few years. Do, do you know who Michael Evans is? Well, let's think about it. Why so would Michael we want an Evans, Israeli company in charge of our security in the first place? Yeah, again, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's People just simple who, stuff. Why on earth would that be happening? Don't we have capable companies uh, in America to take care of our own internal affairs, ladies and gentlemen? And what the heck's going on around here? But there you have it, yes. right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, let's talk about World Trade, Trade Center security. I'm going to skip the Michael Evans information. We can go back to that later. Well, no, go, go ahead and stick with Mike. Thing. Let's do Mike real quick. Okay. Let's, let's stick with this. Okay. Well, yeah, so I kind of just compiled this information in the order that it was uh, presented to me. 1980, a man by the name of Michael Evans, and I've, I've listened to several YouTube videos. And this guy is a Christian. He is an Israeli citizen, but he uh, apparently converted to Christianity from Judaism. And he is one of the greatest advocates within the evangelical Christian community of support for Israel. You would think that uh, you know he's more of a political figure than a, a religious figure if you hear him talk, because he's constantly saying how Christians, in order to be true Christians, need to support the state of Israel. 
They need to now, let me stop you there. Let me stop church. you there, and that's why I have divided this deep state of Israel uh, with a 2,000-year grudge. Those who are exploiting religion under government, okay, under false flag and under manipulation, okay, that's the Zionist reality. Um, the people who believe in Judaism, the people who truly believe in the biblical Israel, we've got two different discussions. One group exploits the religion for their own control, yes. death, and agenda purposes. The other has genuine uh, traditions uh, and righteousness and a place biblically. But we cannot mix or merge the two, or you'll be deceived, ladies and gentlemen. So this guy worked for the deep so. state, if you will, and that's the point, Chris. Now, let me ask, as a little sideline, I don't want to go too far off on this tangent, but I have a member of my family who is a very devoted supporter of the state of Israel. And this individual who is very close to me, I don't, I don't want to mention who it is because I don't want this person to feel uncomfortable if they're listening. But this individual literally believes that as a Christian, this individual needs to support the state of Israel, otherwise that person's status as a Christian will be called into question by God. And to me, that is a very dangerous position to put oneself in. So that was just a little sideline. So let me continue with Michael Evans. So in 1980, he asked the then Mossad chief, Iser Harrell, he said, do you think terrorism will come to America? Remember, this is 1980. Uh, do you think the terrorism will come to America? And if so, where and why? Herrera's response was, I fear it will come to you in America. America has the power but not the will to fight terrorism. The terrorists have the will but not the power to fight America. But all, but all that could change with time. Arab oil money buys more than just tents. As, as to where New York City is the symbol of freedom and capitalism, it's likely they will strike the Empire State Building, which at that time was the tallest building. And he didn't mention the World Trade. I think they were still in construction at that time. So there you've got a data point. You know, the head of the Mossad is talking about terrorists in 1980 striking a, a tall building in the city of New York City. So I think that's significant. And let's talk about World Trade Center security. Now, did you know that not only were the airports under the security of an Israeli company, but the World Trade Center complex at the time of 9-11, Sam, was under uh, the security of an Israeli company. So there's a little bit of history to this. Uh, maybe I won't read it all. Yeah, go ahead. But there were a couple of... Okay, so in 1987, two Mossad agents, I'll give you their names, the V. Malkin and Abraham Shalom Bendor, who had worked under Iser Harrell. Remember we just mentioned Iser Harrell as the head of the Mossad. You know what the Mossad does. Hopefully your, your listeners know that the Mossad is Israeli's foreign intelligence agency. They do a lot of horrible things. It's equivalent to our CIA, people. ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Or MI6 in the other Thank world, you. if you will. In, in Great Britain. Thank you. Okay, so you've got these two Mossad agents, Okay. And uh, they're, they're under the um, administration of Isa Harrell in the Mossad, and they were able to secure a security contract for the World Trade Center buildings uh, under Atwell Security. So that's the Israeli company that at one time, I, I don't have a date on that. That was previous to 9-11, of course. So um, 
And another Mossad agent, uh, Shaul Eisenberg, was at the head of, at, at, well, security. They were both involved with the, so the V. Malkin and uh, Abraham Shalom Bendor, these two Mossad agents, they were actually involved, I don't know if you are familiar with the abduction of uh, Adolf Eichmann in South America, and they were also involved with some illegal polonium smuggling into Israel from America. So these guys were some, you know, official state criminals for the state of Israel. So they won the security contract at that time. I think this this was the 19 late 80s, uh, early 90s. But guess what? So the contract was um, awarded to Atwell Security at that time, but it was later denied because uh, they found out that one of these. Uh, these um, agents for the Mossad, Abraham Shalom Bendor, had a murder conviction in Israel and the fact that he was actually operating under an assumed name. In 1990, however, Abraham Shalom Bendor went to work for Jules Crow, who eventually got the security contract for the World Trade Center and the Port Authority under Crow's security agency, Crow Associates. Coincidentally, the first plane that crashed into the towers made a direct strike into the office of Kroll Associates, where they had their secure computers and conveniently all evidence that might have been connected to that security agency, Sam, was destroyed as a result of that direct hit. So I know that's a head fall, but there you go. So, so the point that we're getting at, ladies and gentlemen, the point that we're getting at, ladies and gentlemen, is there's a lot of people that are being put in place for a lot of these things to take place. It takes a long time to infiltrate governments. It takes a long time to put people into the positions where you can't know the doings or the goings on, if you will, that it becomes a deep state shadow government esque, if you will. So now we've got to talk about the project for a new American century. PNAC is what they call it, right? P- oh, oh, yeah. Let's talk about PNAC, the project for a new American century. Yes. Oh, boy. Um, so this document was compiled two or three years before the 9-11 events, and it's very, very instructive on um, the Zionist state of Israel's intent to get America involved with a a war on terrorism that would involve countries that would surround the state of Israel, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and others. Okay, so the Project for New American Century was uh, authored by two individuals, Donald Kagan and William Crystal, both were dual citizens uh, of America and Israel. There were two, the only two Gentiles on that, um, who, who were, uh, we'll talk about that when we get to the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the project for a new American century. They call it PNAC or P-N-A-C. How does this relate? <laughs> Details in seconds. 9-11 coverage. The truth shall set you free on Liberty Roundtable Live. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio.
USA Radio News. Kim Jong-un insists North Korea will not be pressured into surrendering its nuclear weapons. This came as he signed off on a new law requiring the military to automatically launch nuclear strikes when faced with an attack. Officials in the U.S. and South Korea believes Kim may soon launch a test of the country's nuclear weapons for the first time in five years, as he hopes the U.S. will consider North Korea as a nuclear power. The Department of Justice and former President Donald Trump have each submitted two candidates to serve as a special master to review documents seized from the former president's Mar-a-Lago home last month. Trump, who requested a special master in the case, claiming some of the documents are privileged, is seeking to, quote, split evenly the professional fees and expenses, end quote. But the DOJ does not agree with that, stating, quote, the government position is that, as the party requesting the special master, plaintiffs should bear the additional expense of the special master's work, end quote. This was written by federal lawyers. Household wealth in the United States is down a record $6.1 trillion in the second quarter. That's the lowest in a year and the second consecutive quarterly decline. The Fed Reserve data points to a slumping stock market outweighing gains in real estate values that led to the fall. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. This is USA Radio News. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-568-2790. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-568-2790. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-568-2790. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-568-2790. Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Carlson, Sam Bushman, talking about 9-11. The truth shall set you free. The project for a new American century, PNAC or PNAC, if you will, is a very interesting uh, agenda, document, whatever you want to call it, implementation, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that relates directly to this remaking of the world, Chris. Yep, it does, and we're just—we're not proving beyond any shadow of a doubt that the state of Israel was involved with 9/11. What we are doing is we're establishing data points. We're, we're trying to construct—we're putting pieces of the puzzle together. We may not put the entire puzzle together, even half of the puzzle, Sam. But we're, we're compiling circumstantial evidence that really implicates the state of Israel. 
Well, the and the USS Liberty, by the way, is a 1967 data point that people need to understand, too, where Israelis yeah. literally got caught red-handed in that one, ladies and gentlemen, literally trying to destroy America, provoke us into wars. So this pattern is documentable. Let's be very clear. Yep. So another data point that, that I think is a really strong piece of evidence, Sam, as you mentioned before the break, the Project for a New American Century, and this is a private think tank. The Project for a New American Century is a think tank um, where all of the people on the panel that compiled this document, it's a document, I suppose you could probably find it if you looked, um, they were Zionist Jews. Many of them had dual citizenships. Uh, the two authors were Donald Kagan and William Crystal. Uh, those are household names for people that are news junkies. But this was compiled, um, uh, and I don't have a, an exact date, Sam. I think it was two or three years before 9-11. So the timing is relevant. Okay. And there were two Gentiles, two non-Jews on the panel. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney were there, but the rest were all uh basically uh, Zionist Israel loyalties, okay? And just a couple of really quick quotes from the document itself. Um, it said that rebuild is basically the subtitle of the document, the Project for a New American Century, was Rebuilding America's Defenses. And here's a quote from the actual document, Sam. Tell me if this uh, sounds uh, familiar. The process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event, like a new Pearl Harbor. Now tell me, Sam, if that doesn't sound suspiciously like what happened on the morning of September 11, 2001. Well, it sounds like event, that, but it also like, sounds like a lot of other false flag events in the history of the world, too. But yes, the signature mm -hmm. is there. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I mean, <laughs> and if you consider the obvious elements of the buildings having fallen at near free fall speed, and we can talk about Stephen Jones and his research and how he lost his job as a result of just coming out and saying, hey, there's evidence of nanothermite in the debris of the World Trade Centers. These buildings had no possibility under the laws of physics of coming down. And then all of these connections with the Zionist state of Israel and all of these dual citizens who have infiltrated into our government. Uh, Philip Zelikow is another individual. Uh, he was the executive director of the 9-11 Commission report. Uh, do you know what he did his doctrinal thesis at Rice University? Do you know what he did that on, Sam? Yeah, this How is shocking. This is shocking, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, to think about this. Imagine doing a doctorate thesis on this agenda, and then imagine being put in this position. Chris? Yeah. The doctoral thesis that he wrote at, at Rice University was how to create and maintain the public myth. And let me translate that into layman's terms. How to deceive people. How to deceive the public. And that's what 9-11 was. It was a great deception that got us into all these wars. Uh, millions of people, foreigners, died. Thousands of Americans lost their lives. Billions. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the exact number now. It's, it's up into the hundreds of billions 
that we've lost as a result of this deception. And uh, Philip Delacau, of course, is, um, I, again, I don't know for certain if he is a dual American-Israeli citizen, but he definitely has loyalties to Israel. And then there's Lucky Larry Silverstein. You want to talk about Lucky Larry, Sam? <laughs> well, first off, Larry was a nobody. Uh, and Larry didn't really have a whole lot of money. And Larry uh, was in a very unique position, in my opinion, to be, to some degree, used as a patsy, uh, but to some degree being used as a great wealth vector, so to speak, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when yes. you talk about lucky, lucky Larry Silverstein, this guy literally found himself, what, the great construction man, <laughs> the great builder, the great owner uh, of these buildings, who literally said, pull it. Pull the building, which yes. means that's again yes. another On reference national... to another reference to the likelihood that this was an intentional demolition. This was this is not debatable. This is on national TV, ladies and gentlemen. That yes. those sound bites were played, and so this lucky Larry Silverstein guy was the guy literally then to make sure that he had the right insurance policy when it all went down, Chris. Yeah, so let's do a little history, and then we'll get to that insurance policy in just a second. So Lucky Larry Silverstein owned the World Trade Center complex at the time of 9-11. But before buying it, he was on, he was a mere strip club owner called the Runway 69 in the Bronx in New York. So as a, you know, he probably made a comfortable living, but not nearly enough to, to purchase the World Trade Center complex. But he did that uh, through a conduit or a surrogate. Uh, another Zionist Jew who owned uh, GMAC. So you probably heard of GMAC. I don't know what the AC stands for, but the GM is General Motors. They're the financing arm of General Motors. So if you wanted to buy a car, you would work with GMAC to get a loan on that car. And you know he had a lot, a lot of money, and he fronted the money for Larry. So, but when the decision was made to sell the World Trade Center complex by Governor George Pataki, because you have to remember, Sam, uh, the World Trade Center complex was owned by uh, a government entity. I'm going to say the state of New York. I may be inaccurate, but it, was, it wasn't privately owned. So they had to go through a process, and the man who fronted that process, here we go again, Louis Eisenberg, another Israeli Zionist who was on the board to privatize the World Trade Center complex and to sell it to, to an outside privatized party. Both Louis Eisenberg, the man who was on that board to privatize the sale of the World Trade Center, Sam, and Lucky Larry Silverstein were on the board of another private organization called the United Jewish Appeal, Appeal Federation of New York City. So then that was a, a charitable organization that... How convenient. So they knew each other. So, you know, there's always these political connections. By the way, GMAC and, stands know, for General Motors Acceptance Corporation. They'll accept you for a car loan, sir. All right. Way to go, Sam. That was quick. So here we're getting to the indemnification policy, the insurance policy that Lucky Larry just happened to take out, Sam, literally weeks. I think it was July 26 is the date I have, uh, according to Christopher Bolin. He took out an insurance policy double indemnifying his new properties against terrorist attacks, 
And he, as soon as he took out that insurance policy, he did something maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard that he actually increased the rents 40%. Now, why would you do that? And this is July Because then 26th. your account receivables and the insurance are bigger, my friend. Yes, yes. So either this guy is the luckiest guy on planet Earth at that time, or he knows something is going to happen that he's going to benefit. And I think he benefited to the tune of about $4.6 billion, as, as I recall. Or maybe and he ignorantly was, didn't know, but somebody told him to do certain things and put him in a good position, and he was left in the dark. Who really knows? But the point is still the same. Do all these natural, coincidental things occur in the way they do? I don't think so, folks. And then when he says, pull it, okay, well, you know, hey, there's a, a big problem there, ladies and gentlemen. So why are we pulling those buildings is the big yeah. question. And this is not well, – that information I gave you about Lucky Larry Sam, that's not debatable. That's not speculation. That is documentable. Nobody's disputing that. So you tell me, coincidence? No. There, there was full knowledge. Anyway, that's Lucky Larry for you. I hope at some point in my life I get that lucky. I don't know about you, Sam. but Hey, I don't want to get that lucky. I don't want to be associated with those circles at all. I'll just trust in my God and stay a poor church mouse and do the very best I can, and hopefully I can fit through the eye of the needle, uh, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, all I can tell you is this. We need to talk about a few facts related to the 9-11 as well that are not disputable. Steel melts at between 2,500 to 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Very few fuel sources burn at such high temperatures. Thermite is one of them that does. Chris? Yes, thermite. Some people pronounce it thermate. Uh, Stephen Jones um, pointed out that the both pronunciations are accurate, and he lost his job over that. But this is this is another documentable fact. Steel melted between, like you said, Sam, 2,500 to 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. The problem with that is there was molten steel. I mean, I, I've seen photographic documentation of this. There was literal molten steel puddles in after weeks after the building fell in, in what was known as ground zero, you know, in the rubble and the debris of uh, the World Trade Centers. That's physically impossible unless there was something much that burns at a much higher temperature than just normal carbohydrate carb I'll get this right uh carbohydrate I should know this I'm a chemist um hydrocarbon excuse me fires which would have been the case even jet fuel doesn't burn that hot you know furniture you know other materials that were present in the building at the time of the collapse of the buildings none of that is even close to the temperatures that would have been needed to melt steel so how did that still become melted? Well, explosives would do that. And there was, thanks to Stephen Jones, who was a local professor here at the Brigham Young University, he actually took samples of the debris from ground zero and determined that there were actually unspent uh, particles of thermite or thermite in the debris. He proved that scientifically because he's a physicist. He, he, that's what he does on a day-to-day -day basis. And all that our uh, government did with this when they promised to get to the bottom of it and have accountability and get to the truth, all they did to Stephen Jones is shoot the messenger, ladies and gentlemen. Not literally, 
Yeah. Uh, but figuratively, they destroyed his career, they destroyed his life, they basically um, destroyed his reputation, all because he documented this fact. Yeah, and the guy does not have a political bone in his body. I've spoken with Stephen Jones. I mean, he's the most humble, uh, the most unassuming individual you could ever meet. And he's, he's a, a great physicist. He knows, what he, he knows the laws of physics. And the laws of physics dictate that, first of all, buildings don't come down at near free fall speed in their footprints by being hit by planes. They're just, and we could talk about the string. I don't have the information on that, but they're uh, architects. And well, back in the day, I interviewed Stephen Jones several times about these very topics. And you're right. He's a very humble guy, a very knowledgeable gentleman. And he was willing to put his career on the line to be a truth teller whistleblower. And God bless Stephen Jones for it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, God bless the man. I mean, he lost his job. I hope that he had enough money to retire on. Uh, I think he's got some other side gigs. He does some, I know I talked to him about, uh, he does solar ovens and teaches people how to make solar ovens and stuff. The guy's probably going to be all right, but it's just, you know, we need to support people. We need to get their message out and, and not uh, humiliate them. But that's that. Um, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. Nanoparticles. So apparently, uh, according to Christopher Balloon, a professor from UC Davis analyzed the nanoparticles coming off ground zero and discovered that they were so small that even respirators could not protect the wares from them. And here's the thing. I know enough about physics. I don't need to be a, a rocket science like Stephen Jones to know because I, I do have a degree in chemistry. I don't know if you knew that. Um, in order to create what are referred to as nanoparticles, and I'm not sure what the, the metric on that is, you have to have explosives powerful enough to pulverize the materials in that building to create these nanoparticles, and they are extremely dangerous. That's why over 1,600 firefighters and first responders died within a few years after you know cleaning up the mess at ground zero. Uh, these nanoparticles particles are so small that they not only get into your lungs, but they get into your bloodstream, and eventually they can get into your very cells that are that small. And that's where they cause problems, because they get into the very nuclei of your cells. And that's why so many people have had what I think should be 9-11, but should be known as 9-11 syndrome, just like uh, Gulf War syndrome. And we know that that was the anthrax vaccine that everybody got, but... They never, the government never officially recognized that. Anyway, that was a tangent. Um, but but the nanoparticles, they literally sand, they get into the nuclear of your cell, and they wreak havoc, and they cause cancer and other horrible diseases that people have that were exposed to ground zero shortly after 9-11. And by the way, uh, it was noted that the smoke continued to pour off of ground zero up until Christmas, you think about early September is when uh, the buildings were demolished. And then all the way up until Christmas and thereafter, there was still smoke pouring out of ground zero. Why? Because it was unspent thermite being, uh, being burned. And normal fires don't burn that way. Normal fires burn for a few days, and then if there's no additional source of fuel, they'll just burn out themselves out. But 
but is consistent according to Stephen Jones and other people who know about these things, that nanothermite will continue to burn because they don't need oxygen. They they provide there there's oxygen within the thermate itself. And if you know anything about regular fires, it needs a continual source of oxygen and of course when the fuel's spent. In other words, it does need oxygen. Uh, it just need, it just doesn't need an external source of oxygen. It doesn't need an yeah. I'm sorry, I should have clarified. You got to be that. clear because if you say that, then people are like, "Oh, well, wait a minute. Fires don't burn without oxygen. This is a hole in your logic." No, it's not, folks. You just got to understand the details. Sorry, my bad. No, you're fine. I just want people to really understand. There were bombs in the buildings as well, documented by many uh, people. Chris. Yeah, I've got two quotes. Well, let's read at least one of them. This is Louis uh, Petroli, a firefighter. He said, "I was take." Taking firefighters up in elevator, uh, I should be in the elevator, to the 24th floor to get in position to evacuate workers. On the last trip up, a bomb went off. We think there were bombs set in the building, unquote. That's Louis uh, Caccioli. Another eyewitness, Kim White. All of a sudden, the building shook. Then it started to sway. We didn't know what was going on. We got all our people on the floor into the stairwell. We got down as far as the 74th floor. Then there was another explosion. And I, I could give you additional quotes, but, you know, in the interest of time, we'll just – but there were bombs. Well, and if you look at the 9-11 truthers and everybody else, they have all kinds of firefighters, all kinds of construction workers, all kinds of – uh, bomb experts, all kinds of people in the military that are demolition uh, experts and all kinds of people that have um, all kinds of degrees. Uh, and they all are documenting, hey, there were bombs in the building. There were strategic um, explosive devices set at strategic points in the building, etc., uh, etc. Et I mean, this has been very well documented, folks, but not known to the average American because all they say is, oh, you're a 9-11 truther, you're a wacko. Well, these people are professionals from all kinds of um, vertical market expertise and stuff. These aren't just, you know, rednecks down there. These are people that actually have degrees. These are people who have experience. Uh, These are people who are at the top of their field, and they're all coming together from multiple disciplines, 9-11 truthers and others, and, and are saying, look, this is the facts. You can try to assassinate their character, but what you can't do is destroy the scientific reality they bring to the table, ladies and gentlemen. So there were absolutely uh, bombs uh, in the building. Before the end of the hour, though, we do want to make sure we highlight these dancing Israelis, though, Uh, these unique people who were simply involved in unique ways. At the end of this, uh, you know, uh, Bush tried to say it was all Iraq. It was all Osama bin Laden or whatever, uh, getting us into a war after that. That's another interesting twist. We know there was false flag drills going on at the same time, the 9-11 Events went down. That's another concern. Reality check. We know that uh, Jamie McIntyre, the CNN correspondent at the time for the Pentagon, literally went there on site with his camera and documented that there was no plane at the Pentagon. There was nothing that could have punched a hole that big. It was disintegrated. And he said, there's nothing even big enough for me to pick up in my hand hardly here. And then later he recanted his testimony with Kira Phillips on CNN and literally lied and said, I saw the fuselage, I saw this, I saw that. Those two reports from Jamie McIntyre at the time, the chief correspondent for CNN, are so 180 degrees opposite that that guy needs to be put on the stand, literally, uh, because he'll end up perjuring himself or telling the truth. 
Uh, there's so many evidential pieces, but let's make sure we finish up on these Israelis. Now, last point before that, Ron Paul and others highlighted that, you know what? The Saudis, Saudis were responsible for this, not Osama bin Laden, not Iraq. It was Saudi leaders involved, etc. And now you kind of back into the Israeli discussion once again, Chris. Yeah, they're affectionately known, Sam, as the dancing Israelis. Five Israelis detained for puzzling behavior after the World Trade Center tragedy. And this is a headline. I I can't remember what newspaper I got this from. Uh, And I'll just read word for word. Five Israelis who had worked for a moving company called Urban Moving Systems, uh, which was owned, by the way, by an Israeli man, based in New Jersey, are being held in U.S. prisons. They were held in prison, I think, for 72 days. Yeah, no, 71 days. So obviously the legal letter authorities thought that these people looked pretty suspicious based on what they observed. Um, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation has described uh, their behavior as puzzling following the terror attack on the World Trade Center in New York last Tuesday. So this is right after the attacks. The five are expected to be deported soon. Uh, oh, yeah, it's Haaretz. I got this from Haaretz, which is an Israeli paper, by the way. So an individual eyewitness by the name of Maria Septonrelli witnessed this. Um and here are the names of the five, five dancing Israelis, Sam. Savan Kirschberg, Jorn Schmel, Oded Elmer, Omar, Mamari, and Paul Kirschberg, a couple of brothers, the Kirschberg brothers. And um, when they uh, were apprehended by police, this is what, um, I can't remember which of the five individuals said this, but one of them said, we're not your problem. Your problem is our problem, the Palestinians. And that's a quote. So, um, and, and Dominique Souter was the owner of the Urban Moving, Moving Systems Company that these five Israelis worked for. And as soon as they were detained, he fled the country to Israel. And two um, of them were uh, confirmed Mossad agents as well. Yes, two of them. I think either the two uh, Kirschberg brothers, uh, I don't have the accurate information, so I'll just say, leave it at that. Yeah, two of them were. The point is very suspicious characters. The highlight of multiple news sources was on these people. Uh, Very, very strange behavior, very uh, strange ties, and then really dismissed and overlooked by the mainstream press being, oh, that was nothing. That was just early reporting that was inaccurate or confusing. Bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, they buried it underground, dismissed it. No one ever really got to the bottom of uh, the 9-11 event like we were promised. Uh, now the memorial's kind of out of out of favor. People don't even like the memorial anymore. They literally destroyed all the evidence faster than we could gather details. We've got as much as we can on it, but we know that it was a false flag. The question is by whom, how, where, what, why, who knew what, when, where. We don't know all those details. We know the timeline by Dick Cheney uh, is in question. We know that George Bush virtually went into hiding. Uh, Again, we talked about presidents not really having any authority, right? And Dick Cheney ran it from the war room kind of a thing. Uh, That's very strange, the timelines. There's so many anomalies to this, so many things that don't add up to where you say, you know what, it was a false flag. The only question is who knew what, when, and who done it, and how, and where, and why. And, well, we know kind of why. They put us in a war and changed the world, just like the COVID reality now changed the world. What's going to come next to change the world? What false flag reality will be next and so they keep us guessing they keep us on our toes but in the commemoration of 9-11 we wanted to just dove 
double down on some truth and some reality to this false flag by global intentions to change the world and destroy the greatest country on the face of the earth, to make us uh, in fear. Uh, to And that was really the beginning of the creation of Homeland Security on the heels of that as well, the invasion of Iraq on the heels of that as well. And that really, ladies and gentlemen, changed our world to then. They said, well, it's foreign terrorisms. Now they're taking that same apparatus built by the Republicans and the Democrats in tow, I might add. And now they're pointing that turret, if you will, uh, this domestic threat turret to you and me domestically. We're the ones they're now going to basically point the uh, uh, ill-evil intentions at with a goal of marginalizing us uh, and then destroying the country. And they'll arrest, they'll kill, they'll whatever as many of us as they possibly can to move forward with their agenda. I believe climate change will be one of the next keys to their uh, deception. Uh, Any final thought, Chris? Yeah, the terrorists are us, aren't they, Sam? We have white skin, we're male, we're Christian. I mean, that's the perfect recipe for uh, a terrorist in in the eyes of... um, Yeah, you're heterosexual, you believe in God, family, and country. How dare you? How are we going to destroy the country with people like you around? You know what I'm saying? That's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. When you think about 9-11, know the truth. It was a government false flag to change the world as we know it. Pray. Repent. Promote God, family, and country. That is our salvation, ladies and gentlemen. And don't forget one reality check. God wins in the end. Let's pray we're all on the Lord's side who, shall we? For Chris Carlson and Sam Bushman, we declare this nation shall endure. As Chris always says, without God, we can never do it. With God, we can never lose. Let's stand in the fight for liberty with God Almighty, shall we? God save the Republic of the United States of America.